0: This is The Unseen, and I'm your host, Mike Clelland. On this episode, we will explore magic with my guest, Michael M. Hughes. Now, Michael calls himself a magical thinker, and we'll be looking at his personal experiences and how these shaped his outlook on the deepest of mysteries. Michael has a long list of accomplishments, both as a ceremonial magician, as well as a stage magician. He is also very well versed in the history of magical traditions, and this includes the Tarot. Add to this that he is an author and political activist. His books include a horror trilogy titled The Blackwater Lights, and his most recent book came out just a few months ago, in September of 2019, and it is titled Magic for the resistance rituals and spells for change now michael is the creator of the mass spell to bind donald trump and this happened shortly after the 2016 election and and it went viral now as far as we know this is the largest and longest running magical working in history and we will be talking about this in the second half of the show and because of that I am including this little disclaimer. The views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect those of this site or the host of this show, and that's me. Now, here is my opinion. I feel strongly that it benefits everyone if political issues can be discussed in a calm and thoughtful manner. The debate can certainly be lively. I'm all for that, and and I want to say this clearly. Everyone has the right to express their views and opinions. There. Okay, all that said, this was a really fun interview for me and hopefully it'll be fun for you too. This conversation was recorded on Friday, November 8th, 2019. Please enjoy. Michael, I want to thank you so much to saying yes to this interview.
1: It means a lot to me. Thank you. It's a it's a delight to uh, have this conversation with you. I've I have i i have so admired and just so appreciated the the work that you've done over the years you know ever since i started following your blog back in the back in the old days um so it's it's really a pleasure well thank you thank you so you and i are roughly the
0: same age now when i was in high school i played dungeons and dragons <laughs> and this was well before the computer era i mean this was with, mm-hmm. with grid paper and pencils and dice or i guess die in the dungeon master's guide and this overlaps with your present day practices how what where what was the genesis i mean i i know what you're going to say a little bit but for our listeners what was the genesis yeah
1: well i was a dnd nerd too i mean I, I go back to the blue box dnd as it's called when you know it just the basic dungeons and dragons and came in this blue box with a dragon on the front and i even still have the dice that that came with it um so yeah i mean it it blew me away i was on a boy scout camping trip and someone pulled out the box and said hey do you want to play this game and you know it was a few other nerds that immediately gravitated toward it. And it just it blew my mind that there had never been anything quite like it. And I was a bit of a fantasy buff at the time anyway. You know, it was in, I had read and reread The Lord of the Rings and and a lot of other fantasy, science fiction, that sort of thing. So I was just immediately uh, enraptured by it. Um, but I think what you're leading to is my is my current practice uh, as magic, um, and I wrote a, a nice piece about this, uh, which you can look up online. It's like how Dungeons and Dragons made me an occultist, and uh, it's it's funny because you, I mean, you went through it too, I'm sure, and you remember very well the Satanic panic. Oh yeah, of, oh there was some there was like right <laughs> when I was in
0: high school, someone, and it was actually in the University of Michigan, if I'm remembering this correctly. Like got yes. so involved in Dungeons and Dragons and was going under the school in the tunnels, and then somehow I don't think he committed suicide. Is that, Do I have
1: this right? Yes, and and it got way blown out of proportion, and it wound up being that D and D really had had little to do with. With his disappearance, but but it really set people aflame. And um... oh, oh yes, I'm remembering
0: this now. There were there were Dungeons and Dragons maps all over his dorm room or something like that. And the mm-hmm. police sort of latched onto those as some sort of clue to where he might have might have disappeared to. Now I'm remembering this correctly. Yes, and <laughs> right. and uh, and I remember my dad was absolutely like apoplectic that I was playing this game like he was (laughs) frightened for my soul I think Um, and I was like so I came at it from an illustrator where I was doing the uh, I was dungeon master and then I was creating these these beautiful illustrations that I did with a set of magic markers that I got this set of like professional grade magic markers and I Mm. yeah so I totally got lost for a full summer in in (laughs) creating one game and I played it one time and it was it was a triumph. And um, so anyway, we'll keep going.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, so when the sa- satanic panic rolled around, um, I had a friend who, uh, who went to a high school of Maryland and there was a church that was actively sort of trying to shut down his D club at his school. Um, and, and I just remember, you know, people were saying this stuff is going to you know, it's going to warp your mind. It's going to turn you into an occultist or a Satanist or whatever. Well, it did. It, it turned was, you into a magician, so it, it did, did warp your mind. Yeah, yeah. it did. And uh, you know, I I say in that little piece I wrote, um, which is uh, which is for a blog, a really great blog called We Are the Mutants. They they do great stuff from from the seventies and eighties. You know, it's kind of pop culture focused, but really kind of smart, savvy. Um, but, but what I said in, in that piece is, you know, Jack Chick was right. Now, I, I know a lot of you probably know the little Jack Chick, like crazy fundamentalist tracks that these little booklets that people used to leave all over the place, they probably still do. Oh,
0: uh, yes. They I, <laughs> they were at the bank. I remember there was like this table at the bank in New York city. I was a college student at NYU and, and that was the first time I'd ever seen them. And I was, I was so enchanted. They were so <laughs> like to be like kind of a hipster lowbrow kind of punk rock kid and have these absolutely bombastically paranoid comics it was so fun yeah
1: and it's such a cool style too you know i i mean for for the you know the the absolute ridiculousness of some of the of the the content they're really cool looking and, and, you know, it's no wonder they they became so popular. and People pass around because you, you can't, you know, if you see one lying on the table like you saw on the bag, you, you can't – you have to pick it up. It's just – it's that strange little shape. And, and it fits in your
0: pocket it, perfectly. Yeah, you can fit about eight pocket. of them in, in your shirt pocket easy. yeah. So.
1: Exactly. So – in, in in that in that piece I wrote, you know, said Jack Chick was right, and I I don't mean that he was right in a way that you know D and D turned me into a Satanist or something, and I, you know my, my I'm in fear for my immortal soul burning in hell for all eternity or something like that. But but D and D had a lot of elements of magic in it. You know, it was it was the first introduction to a lot of magical terms and ideas that i had ever seen you know i read fantasy books and things like that but but gary gygax and dave Arneson they 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 plundered occult occultism and you know they used names of of demons and they used you know they there were little drawings of little magical circles and i think it's the first time i ever heard the word sigil uh so it, it was it was just enticing and I, you know, I also grew up like you did, since we're about the same age, p- uh, post-boomer. You know, all this, all this, uh, <laughs> reaction against boomers today. I could say, like, I am not a boomer. Luckily, I, I just made it by the skin of my teeth. I, I think I technically boomer. qualify as a boomer. My dad oh, fought yeah. in oh. World War
0: II, so I think that's on oh, okay. the checklist. Yeah. I think so. Okay. I, yeah. I'm the last one, though. I think I'm the very last one when they 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 they, they officially close the book after. My mom carried me out of the hospital, so.
1: Yeah, but, but we grew up in the 70s, and it was the era of In Search Of and Chariots of the Gods was in the movie
0: theater. And, oh, and I saw, know. I just, I gotta say, I saw that with my dad in the movie theater, and I remember he really dug it, so.
1: Uh, well, th- that's that's funny because my a uh, friend of my dad got this 16 millimeter print of the film and showed it at his house. So I remember as a kid, you know, hanging out with my, my my dad's friend and his kids, and you know, it was about eight or ten of us sitting sitting in his living room, you know, watch, watching *Chariots of the Gods*. So uh, yeah, I mean, we, we we were soaking in this stuff. Um, you could go to your your local five and dime store and go to the paperback book rack, and and find books on UFOs and ghosts and things like that. It was just The whole, the media was just saturated with it. Uh, It, Our our junior high
0: school library had the time life uh, mysteries
1: of the unknown. Mysteries Uh, of the unknown. Exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Springfield
0: Jack and all that. Yes,
1: of course. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. So it was, it was just in the air and I was naturally drawn to the paranormal. Also, my father was, was really into UFOs and ghosts and Bigfoot basically anything that f- fell under the paranormal, you know, rubric, Frank Edwards books, like he would pick a, it. was great because back in the day you could get cheap mass market paperbacks about all those subjects. And so he would just power through these and then he'd leave them sitting around and I would pick them up and read them. And, you know, he had some, some freaky experiences when he was a kid too. So, uh, you know, I, once again, I think it's kind of a, A lot of us that get really, you know, deeply into these subjects, we we have some kind of lineage, you know, that 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 ties us ties us into this stuff. But
0: and and I don't know if I do, you know. That was actually that was sort of an oddity that my dad went there. I think he he took me to the movie because he knew I would love it. I was I must have been like twelve or something Uh when that movie came out. And um Mm -hmm. and then he sort of was like, "Golly, that was kind of cool," you know. He was thought it was really interesting, all the stuff about the old temples and such. So.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So, so all this magic stuff and D and D and just being saturated in the pop culture, Uh, I think I was about 11 when uh, my aunt uh, bought me a, my first tarot deck and it was the James Bond 007 tarot card set. the reason it was james bond is because the movie live and let die uh jane seymour was like a voodoo priestess witch or something like that and she laid out uh these tarot cards and of course the lovers came up with her and bond and things like that but when i got these cards i started playing with them and i'm like this is this is really kind of cool um i think i always sort of believed in magic and divination I I just feel like it's just part of who I am but this was the first opportunity I had to sort of to work with a system that existed and of course I bored the hell out of people but I'm sure it was absolutely horrifying experience for the the poor friends and family members that I cajoled into letting me do this but but it really started to fascinate me and you know, the idea that you can take randomness and, and sit down and apply your concentration to it. And, and out of that, these random images that you can tell stories and that those stories can be meaningful, really opened my eyes a lot. And when I got a little bit older, I discovered the Ching and I was, so I was really into that for a while. And, uh, and it just it naturally led me to the idea of like, well, if divination works, then maybe there's other forms of, of magic that work also. And that was the beginning of an adventure that continues to this day. You know, 25 plus years I've been reading and studying and practicing all kinds of varieties of, you know, what what falls under the broad umbrella of magic.
0: Hey, we have hit our 15-minute mark. We will be taking our very first break. For free Dreamlanders, you will hear a few commercials. For paying members, we will be right back. We are back on The Unseen. My guest is Michael M. Hughes, and we are talking about magic, which is something that I am not really that familiar with. Like I feel like I'm really... Uh, ignorant of all, so much of this stuff. It's another world sort of outside my own. But here's something I, I have done, and I, this happened absolutely organically for me. So I was doing a lot of outdoor work, uh, teaching for mountaineering schools and such, and spending a lot of time in the mountains. I was living in the Rockies at that point. And I would go out alone with a little backpack and hike into the Tetons where I was living, and I would sleep out under the stars. I did it a lot of other places too, in the desert and the Southwest and such. But I would sleep out under the stars, and I didn't do it every time. But there came a point when I guess this UFO and owl stuff started to really make itself known in my life. Like I wasn't like like it was it was having an impact on me. I was suffering from from not knowing. And I would go and I would make a very clear intention. I would lay under the stars. I would look up at the stars, and I would say something to the effect of, All right, universe, I am asking for help. I am open and receptive to whatever you have to offer me. And then I would usually say something like, I prefer it would not be scary, but you're smarter than I am. And then I said, I thank you in advance. And I would go to sleep, and I had, I am not exaggerating, some of the most powerful experiences I've ever had in direct response to that. And I've actually I'm cautious to do it now, because it's like it's like pulling the pin out of the hand grenade a little bit. it's a little you know, um but oftentimes it came in the form of dreams, but more often within that morning, after waking up, something would go down that was a direct response to that plea under the stars now I just I'm, I, now I'm asking you, you know what was I doing
1: yeah you were you were interacting with the universe around you as if it is a living entity and that is really the the basis of magic the idea that you know we're not just these these little flesh suits disconnected from everything around us living in our own little bubbles but that we are tied through either you know, invisible ways or metaphorical ways with the rest of the world around us. Uh, So that's the very basis of of magic and magical thinking is to is to open up to that larger connection to the world around you and not just believe that that you're this isolated cut off entity but but that you're part of a larger ecology of consciousness.
0: I will say those are the same conclusions I have come to after digging and researching into the connection between owls and UFOs. That reality is much richer and much more nuanced and much more playful and responsive and flexible than I would have ever dared imagine having grown up in a going to you know high school
1: science class <laughs> yeah it's you you nailed it i I couldn't have like I couldn't say it any better than you just described it and it's that's why I I, I call myself a magical thinker because I believe that if you start believing that the world is a magical place then it starts to play along with you and it starts to manifest that way and given the choice i mean someone who's very materialistic reductionist minded might say well that's silly and foolish and uh, i i'd rather i'd rather stick with reality as it is even if it's cold and boring and dull and i say well that's that's fine that's your choice but given those two choices even if I'm fooling myself, I'd rather go. I'd, it's more fun to believe that the world is a magical place, and it, but it's more than fun, you know. Once you start, once you start operating from that frame of mind, you find all sorts of wonderful, strange things begin to happen. So, why stick with the boring, mundane, nine to five, birth, school, work, death? Uh, framework. When instead you could say, "Hey, it's a magical world out there, and there's, and if I if I talk to it, it will talk back. If I play with it, it will play back." In your youth,
0: you had some experiences that I would like to hear about. If we talked about this re- recently, but mm-hmm. share with the audience what happened.
1: Yeah, I I had some really unusual stuff happened to me. I, my guess is that I was around seven, eight years old, uh, maybe nine, maybe through nine, 10, something like that. I was a kid. And when you look back on stuff that happened as a kid, you know, there's always a little bit of fuzziness and things like that. But, but there were a couple of things that happened to me that stand out with such clarity, uh, because they were so terrifying. Um, there, there were a handful of instances where I would be in the hallway in my house and my parents were sitting at the one end of the hallway in the living room watching a television and my bedroom was down at the other end of the hall, at the very far end of the hallway. And I had this little plastic doggy bank that I used to sit there and kind of keep the door propped open because I didn't like to have my door closed. And on several occasions, because I would remember it when it would start to happen again, I would be standing in the hallway, and I would see some sort of lights in my room. Uh, It it occasionally manifested as like, what I can only describe as kind of like little squiggles of light. Um, But it was it was illumination. And I would be standing in the hallway, and my parents were down the other end watching TV. I could see them, and I could see the glow from the television. But as I would turn and look in my bedroom, this light stuff would happen. And then this feeling would come over me, this just just impossible-to-resist feeling that i had to lie down like i was like i was going to fall down or pass out or something and i would lie down on the floor and go unconscious and for i, I don't know how long that would be and then i would just wake up and find that i had been lying on the floor and the light thing whatever it was was gone and I would just stand up, and my parents were just watching TV. And wait, wait. So you I, would you would lie down in the fl- on the floor in the
0: hallway. Yeah,
1: in the hallway. Yeah, right next was, to your bedroom. Yeah, like a like you know maybe five feet from the bedroom and five feet from the living room where my parents were sitting. And I would just go flat and just collapse and go unconscious for however long it happened to be. And I was always shocked, and I didn't understand why my parents didn't see it or didn't understand what was happening or didn't go, are you okay? Or anything like that. And it would just leave me with this, such a, I'm a kid. And just to have this unexplained thing happen that made no sense. And, and, and have my parents so close to me, but not seeing, not saying anything, not engaging. And, it, it it was just terrifying. I, I, there, uh, there would be times when I would be, you know, going to my bedroom at, at night and I would be so terrified that I would see that light and, and that, that, that paralysis would come over me again. And there was another time, the only other time that's so super distinct I woke up at the bottom of the stairs in the basement of my house. And as a kid, the basement is just the most terrifying place imaginable. Yeah. I, uh, let me
0: interrupt. I, I lived in the basement. I had a bit room in the basement. So I had <laughs> okay. to do that. I had to do the thing with the only way to turn the lights off was to turn them off at the top of the stairs and walk down completely in the dark. Oh, so. No. I, 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 there was a couple ways to do it, but it, it involved like going back and forth. But that's how I that's how I went to my bedroom every night between about the age of twelve and nineteen.
1: Uh yeah Well, it, it's as I as I grew older and I started reading about abductions and things like that. Naturally, my mind started to go that direction. And when I met Bud Hopkins and talked to him about it, he he kept trying to get me to come up to New York and undergo a regression with them. But I I was really terrified that I I, I knew so much of the abduction mythology, that it would contaminate any attempt to recollect, you know, I, 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 I've, I've studied hypnosis, I've done hypnosis a little bit, I used to perform as a mentalist. So I was really into like, understanding how the brain works and how the brain can be tricked and things like that. And I know how easy it is to confabulate under hypnosis. It's just, it's such a suggestible state that I was, I was really afraid that if I were to to undergo regression, it would have a, let's say a classic, you know, Gray's abduction thing uh, surface that I would never know whether that was what really happened or if I, I I just kind of made that up. So I, I always thought it's probably better to, if, if whatever happened, if it eventually, if it was something that was a little deeper that I would rather let it come out on its own than to try to, you know, then to wind up shoehorning something into there that, that didn't happen. But it, it always just, perplexed the hell out of me that well
0: let's let's add to this perplex you actually saw a ufo
1: also yeah that that was later that was in my 20s um in ocean city maryland and uh this this was during a period where i was very much into ufos it was the early 90s intruders had come out the communion movie had come out i'd read whitley's books and bud's books and and every everything else i could get my hands on and so i was really fascinated by the subject but i'd never had a sighting and i was at the beach in ocean city maryland with a girlfriend of mine and it was our final night well i have to backtrack a little bit um our our, The night before the the, last day there, I had a dream and uh, the, the dream was unusual for me because even though I was really into UFOs, I didn't really dream about UFOs or related subjects that much. But in this dream, I was watching a panel and on that panel was like a Jacques Vallée sort of guy. Then there was a Stan Freeman sort of guy and there was like a terence mckenna person and a david ike kind of kook dude and and they're all having this this back and forth conversation about what what ufos are what aliens are what these entities are where they come from if they're extra dimensional if it's nuts and bolts you know the usual sort of back and forth among various camps in ufology and i woke up and i was like wow that was that was cool you know and i i wrote it down as i was uh, i was writing down my dreams a lot at that point and i thought well that's that's kind of cool i never had a ufo dream before and it was interesting to hear the back and forth it was almost like my own mind playing the different roles and trying to understand the phenomenon a little better through these other people, through all these different perspectives. So that night we were getting ready to go home and uh, it was getting kind of late. We had a, a two hour drive back to Baltimore and I said, let's take a walk on the beach. Let's just go take a walk on the beach. So we walked a couple blocks down to the beach. It was a beautiful night, absolutely clear and starry. It was September 23rd. Uh, 1990 I believe it is I I have it I still have the little note I wrote all the notes I wrote down from that night and uh, we're walking on the beach and and as we were walking along I saw that someone had sculpted a face in the sand but like one of the beach cleaning vehicles had ridden over it so it had like this it was kind of smushed but it was clearly someone had made a little sand sculpture of a face And I had this little flashback to a couple of weeks earlier when we had also been at the beach um, in a different location, though. And uh, my friends and I had been making sand sculptures and I made a little alien head, you know, classic, you know, gray alien head with big eyes. And I made its arm, uh, sculpted its arm like it was waving high, something like that. So this is a couple of weeks later and I'm on the beach and I see this face sculpted in the sand. And I thought, that's fun. You know, it kind of reminds me of the, the face I sculpted a few weeks ago. And then I looked up at the sky and I kind of like your, you know, sort of requests to the sky. And it was such a beautiful, clear night. I said, okay, okay. If you're out there, now is the perfect time to show yourselves there's nobody around it's just me and my girlfriend just show yourselves if you're out there and i was i was serious when i said it but i had absolutely no you know no belief that anything would happen so, so no attachment
0: you weren't attached to no
1: yourself. attachment you know there was, we go was,
0: that's 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 where it happens, right there.
1: It's just like a silly, okay, if you're out there, show yourselves, why not? So I walked down, my girlfriend had walked a little bit ahead of me, she was down by the water, so I walked down and was, you know, kind of hanging out with her, and she she said, what are those? And she was pointing up at the sky, so I, I looked and followed her finger where she was pointing, and when she had seen them, they were two little, like maybe the size of like a, a kidney bean or something from where we were standing on the beach. But they were glowing orange and they were oval shaped. They weren't round. They were oval shaped. And when she looked at them, they were just sort of like bobbing, almost like uh, you know bobbing on the surface of water, just just sort of going a little bit up and down. But when I looked up, they started moving. And they were moving very quickly and in a way that I instantly knew my brain started doing that calculus. Like, okay, is it a plane? Is it a helicopter? What is this thing? And I immediately knew because they were going so fast and they were moving in such dramatic, weird. I mean, they were very angular sort of movements like impossible kind of movements. And I just started saying, oh, my God, oh, my God. And my girlfriend, I could hear her going, oh, my God, oh, my God. And it was just we just kept repeating this as these lights were doing these crazy maneuvers. And then they came together and sort of fused together and were and were doing it was so suddenly it was wasn't two lights. It was just one light doing this crazy stuff. And then they broke apart again. And then at that point, after they broke apart, they just like whipped across the sky and I lost them in this light pollution down at sort of the, the boardwalk end of, of the beach. And man, you know, I at that point, I just was overcome by this this fear um, because wait a minute, I just said, if you're out there, show yourselves. And
0: something showed up. Now, now, just so you know, that is very common in the reports.
1: Yeah, very yeah, common. yeah. I, I, and and maybe I even knew at that time that 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 was a possibility. But to have it actually happen was it, it, for as much as I believed in the phenomenon and and was so intrigued by it to have it manifest in that way and in with and then I started you know, after this all happened, I started reverse engineering it and going, wait a minute, the dream about the, you know, this dream happened. And then the synchronicity of the face, the sculpted face in the sand. So it was almost like, wait a minute, did I just ask them to come and they showed up? Or were they kind of working in my consciousness all that time up to that point? And that's when uh, it, it you just have to come to grips with the fact that this just happened. And that was a that was a real turning point for me in my understanding of the phenomenon in that I realized at that point it has my suspicions. But that experience really said to me, this is bigger than spaceships, this This is something that interacts with us in such a profound way and in such a deep way that it's it can be it can be wrapped up in our dreams. It can be it's it manifests in synchronicities. So it it completely disabused me of a of a materialist approach to UFOs and, and and the paranormal in general because you you can't you can't go back after something like that happens. At this point,
0: we will be taking our second break. For free Dreamlanders, you will hear a few commercials. For paying members, we will be right back. We are back on the unseen and I am with my guest, Michael M Hughes, and we are talking about magic and UFOs. Now, Michael, so in your life you have this magic side, and you also have these seeming. Let's say, well, the, with the UFO story you just told, that was a, that. That's as textbook as it gets. All the elements show up in in this in the people I talk to, anyway. Let me put it that way. What's the overlap between these two? Between magic and the
1: UFO? That is a fantastic question, and it's one that's sort of puzzled me and intrigued me for a long time. When, when you look at certain kinds of magic, um, the, the types of magic that deal with spirits, spiritual entities, I've always thought that there is a, a, a really big overlap there. After all, what, what do magicians do Uh, at least some magicians do is they, they try to establish contact with spiritual or non-physical entities of some sort. That's not the crux of the kind of magic I do, but it's, it's been part of magic since, you know, since I probably the first hominid took a stick and drew a circle in the mud and stood inside of it and tried to, talk to something bigger than him or herself. So I look at the technology of the occult, especially when it's used for contact with, with discarnate entities, let's say. And I see a remarkable overlap with, particularly when, when we, the experience we just talked about, the experience I had, the experiences you had, the experiences many other people have had when they open themselves up to something and they ask and they say what are you who are you let me see you that sometimes whatever it is says okay i'll give you i'll give you a little glimpse and magic especially ceremonial magic but also like shamanic magic uh is it's essentially doing just that. It's it's using uh, ritual and or material items and altered states of consciousness to establish contact with something that's non-physical and to open a channel of communication. Okay, that was a good answer.
0: <clears throat> um, okay, now... On to the big question. The, <laughs> I was very cautious to bring this, up, this part up here. So mm-hmm. like just heads up now, I am going to try to be as even-keeled as I can. I am not coming down on any sides of this thing as in the role of the interviewer. I've got, certainly got my own feelings on this. You created a magical binding spell. You and I have talked about this already at length, and the story is remarkable and, and I think as a way to set the stage for this, I, I need to say that you are a political activist and what you did is a political act. But what I want to know is what was the genesis and how did this start? What was the genesis of this? I know it's in some sense, I remember I've, I've heard you, mm-hmm. I've heard you reference political theater and the mm-hmm. absurdity yeah. of political theater. And yeah. So what was the genesis of your, of, of even coming up with this?
1: Yeah, what I've always been inspired by political theater and pranks and things like that, in particular uh, during the Vietnam War. Uh, Jerry Rubin and Abby Hoffman and Allen Ginsberg sort of the before they were yippies. They, they were just radical activists, anti-war activists and pranksters. They later became the yippies, uh, and became famous for throwing dollar bills down on the stock exchange and, and all sorts of great political theater. But but the what would all what I always loved was these Pranksters, these, these activists, they had the idea to get thousands of anti-war protesters to peel off of a, of a big march and gathering in D.C. and to surround the Pentagon. And what, what they planned to do was to do this, this incantation of this, this spell that they wrote and make the Pentagon levitate 300 feet in the air. And then it would start spinning around and all of the demons of war would go flying out of it and the war would end. And even though the Pentagon didn't rise up in the air and the war didn't immediately end, it was the idea of it. It was the idea that this that people could gather and and use their consciousness To do this crazy thing and change history that's like a really pivotal moment there there are these iconic images of uh people putting flowers in the in the ends of rifles the business end of a rifle and and there was just something about the absurdity of that event of of the idea of this mass exorcism of the pentagon And that matched the absurdity of the war and how people felt about the Vietnam War. I mean, and I felt very similarly after the 2016 election. Um, I felt that things had taken a dramatic change, like it was some weird, dark singularity in American history. And so this is a little bit after the election. I've always been a politically active person. So I was trying to think of something. I was talking with a friend of mine, having a couple beers and we're like, what can we do? Can we do some kind of, uh, you know, March and we'll donate money to Planned Parenthood or the ACLU or should we, you know, we just throwing around all these ideas. But I really felt like in order to break through into the consciousness of a large number of people, it had to be something way out of left field. It had to be kind of like that Pentagon levitation and exorcism. It had to be absurd to match what I saw is the absurdity of what I saw happening in our culture uh, after the election. Things like, you know, the the Muslim ban. And uh, it just it just seemed like for for people on my end of the political spectrum that that things had just turned upside down, that we were in this surreal World.
0: I, the morning they announced the election, I just remember walking around like, "Am I living in like a like a cynical comic book right now?"
1: it, just... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it really is. It it's, it just felt like like things had taken a very dark, uh, comically dark, almost in a way, turn. I agree. So I, I thought... agree. Comically dark. I mean, I lived in New York City when Donald
0: Trump burst onto the scene back in the mm-hmm. early 80s and he mm-hmm. was the face of the sort of yuppie gentrification revolution so you know i yeah, just watched new yeah, york yeah. city change in a way that i didn't really like
1: yeah and he i've read spy magazine and they they just lampooned the hell out of him all the time so i've i mean i was aware of donald trump a long time ago and i kind of watched his career so let's let's just say i was not very happy with uh with the way things were going so I said to my friend, like, what about a spell, like a mass? If we can get a lot of people doing a ritual at the same time to stop him from from doing harm. And my friend thought that was a really awful idea. He said, man, you've had lots of ideas. That's maybe one of the worst you've ever had. That's silly whatever. But but I couldn't stop thinking about it. So I i wrote a spell. And since I study magic and I study the history of magic and I've been so fascinated all my life, I realized that some of the oldest spells that we know of are binding spells. The Greeks, the ancient Greeks in particular, were very fond of binding spells. They would write them in little pieces of lead and like throw them in a cistern or, or, or in a graveyard or something like that.
0: And now, now you
1: have to define binding for me. Yeah. Binding. Binding. Like, people think of spells and they think, well, you, you cast a hex or a curse on somebody. Well, the idea of a binding spell is simply to contain something about that person. Uh, in, in this case, uh, the this spell I crafted that was to bind Donald Trump from doing harm and to bind anyone who's abetting him in doing harm to kind of bind them too. So it's a very, very broad aimed at him very clearly. As as you know, a primary target of the spell, but not to hurt him, because I, I have my ethics in magic are the same as my ethics in real life. So in magic, I don't believe in in harming people. What what I would do in practical terms, I would do everything within my power: writing letters, making phone calls, marching. Uh, sitting down in in front of someone's office or in their office, things like that, nonviolent resistance. I do any of that stuff to stop someone like Donald Trump from doing harm to what I believe are like the bedrock principles of our country. So I have no problem doing that magically. So I wrote this thing and a big element of it is so many people were feeling so disempowered and beaten down because it felt like this juggernaut of, of, uh, of, you know, authoritarianism was just sort of rolling over the country. Um, that so many people felt powerless and part of the ritual, I designed it as a way to sort of exercise ourselves of this, the stuff that he was doing to people, making them feel disempowered, uh, making them feel hatred and anger and, and disillusionment and things like that. So I, I crafted the spell as a binding spell, but also kind of an empowering thing. And I, I wrote this down and I, like I said, I sent it around to some f- smart friends and they, they had some really good feedback on it and things like that. And then I posted it on the, the website medium, which is like a blogging service or something. Uh, and I thought, okay, you know, a dozen people, you know, my friends will like it. They'll find it funny. There's a few people, people might do it. And it just blew up immediately within the first day after I posted it. It was inching into the like 50,000 views. And what interested me the most and and still what I find most one of the most satisfying things about it is so many people were passing it around and going, yeah, what the hell? You know, I'll do this. Why not? Like I've I've done everything else. I march. I, I you know I'm sending emails and signing petitions and calling my Congress critters on the phone and things like that. Hey hey, just why give not, a, Why not do it? Give a <laughs> give a quick rundown
0: of what the actual binding spell is.
1: Yeah, the the, the spell is uh, is crafted in this sort of magical traditions that I work, which are very um, very historical. I draw a lot from h- historical uh, magic and the way binding spells were done by the ancient Greeks and Egyptians and, and through through history really. But I also work with a lot of folk magic traditions like uh, hoodoo, conjure, uh, even like Catholic sort of folk magic, candle burning and things like that. I'm very promiscuous magically. And, and, and that's always been what magic is about. Um, and, So this this binding spell, it uses a little stubby orange candle uh, because we know um, Donald Trump doesn't like people making fun of his stubby orange fingers. And uh, it uses it's very simple. It takes just a few minutes. Um, It calls upon the ancestors. It calls upon spirits of the elements and things like that. It calls upon demons of the underworld. And I put that in there because I knew it, it would freak out his evangelical supporters and and even today there was a spiritual advisor talking about all the witchcraft being done against him and things like that which just warms my heart you know to know that (laughs) it's actually that 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 evangelicals are getting freaked out by this that that was that was part and parcel of the creation of it but but it essentially says bind him so that he does not harm things like liberty, things like justice and the environment and just the things I care about as a, as a compassionate human being. And, and then you, you do this ritual and then you, you burn an image of him. And that is a powerful statement. We see that kind of magic in political theater all the time when people burn an effigy. It's a really it's a powerful thing.
0: Well, that was that was the the Obama administration. There right when Obama was elected, there was some brutal ugly images, effigies mm-hmm. yeah. in, in essence a lynching of, right. uh, of yeah, a of yeah, a yeah. of a oversized
1: uh, Obama mannequin. Sure. I mean, it goes back you you as far as you can look back at that political uprisings people all people have always used effigies it's 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 sympathetic magic at, at its at its most base form you 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 burn the image of a person and you're you're therefore affecting them you know that's that's how it, that's the general idea behind sympathetic magic but as you burn as as his image is burning uh, because i i believe humor is important uh that the the, the when you do the ritual and he's burning, you say you're fired. You, you you appropriate that line that he made famous to use against him as he's burning, and then at the very end of the ritual, you laugh because I think nothing hurts a malignant narcissist more than someone laughing at them. They hate to be laughed at, so it's crafted to be serious yet have elements of humor, like the stubby orange candle. But it really is a practical. Uh, It's a practical ritual. It only takes a few minutes. And the idea was that people do it at the same time. and We do it on the waning crescent moon, like the very last little sliver of the moon before it goes dark to the new moon. And that's because in magical practices – the when the moon is waning or it's shrinking that's when you do magic to push things away or to negate whereas when the moon is waxing or becoming full that's when you do magic to pull things to you or to make them grow that sort of thing so i had set the first of this ritual to be done 2 weeks after I published it, and again thinking maybe a few dozen people would do it and share it with some people, and it would be a laugh, and etc. Um, but, but by the the week of the the scheduled binding ritual, the very first one, uh, it had gone viral globally. I had I had reporters from all over the world constantly calling and emailing. I spent almost my entire waking day for a week and a half just doing interviews, radio shows, just talking to people from all over the place. And it was everywhere.
0: And, and I would, I, I Googled you, but just this uh, mm-hmm. to prepare for this interview. And it was a long, 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 long <laughs> list of references where you got quoted and stuff. Wow. Yeah, was, and it wasn't, yeah. it was like in, you know, Newsweek and stuff like that. This was, this was not just, you know, fringy little blogs off there.
1: So right No. it, it really, and because I think it hit, it hit so perfectly on two different things, that were coming together to a head. And that was the, the resistance activism against the president and the administration and, and what they were doing. And the simultaneous, this just explosion of interest in witchcraft and magic. And what was funny to me is that I'm not a witch. Like I, I, I dabbled in Wicca when I was in my 20s, but it just didn't stick. It, it 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 didn't feel like where I wanted to be, like the mythology and all behind it. I kind of historically knew that a lot of it wasn't really, wasn't really, you know, from a historical perspective, no, witchcraft was not something, a goddess religion that had been present in Europe since antiquity and things like that. Like so much of the foundational myths had been disproven. It just didn't. I have a lot of witch friends and uh, and. I love the community. They've embraced me so warmly, but I've never considered myself a witch. So it was funny that this binding spell became witches versus Trump, because in popular culture, people think someone's casting a spell. It's a witch, even though there's such a huge variety of magical practice that most people don't understand that they think oh uh, someone's casting a spell it's a witch so it really became witches versus Donald Trump the the funny thing was to me that and and this is uh, as this day was approaching all these tv stations were were calling me and they were like, we want to film people doing this binding ritual like CNN and Fox. Fox and Friends tried to get me to come on. Tucker Carlson was trying to get me to come on a show. And all the film crews, I mean, it's a juicy, beautiful thing. Witches doing a spell on the president. They all wanted to film it. But I didn't want them hanging over me when I did the ritual because I, I wanted it to be kind of serious. And, and all the other people I reached out to No one volunteered to have a camera crew for probably for good, you know, for safety reasons that a lot of it's so easy to dox people and ruin their lives nowadays. So I did something kind of uncharacteristic of myself and I lied. I said, I I hear there's going to be all these witches doing it outside of Trump Tower in Manhattan. And They were like, yes, great. We'll have a film crew there. So word just started spreading. The night of the binding, we did it in a backyard in Baltimore around a bonfire. About 40 people gathered at this point, like I was just in shock because I had never experienced anything like what I had been experiencing for weeks. It was just nonstop barrage of media attention. So we did the binding ritual You know, we had this huge sigh of relief. I sat down in a chair. I was totally exhausted. And then a friend of mine came up with his phone. He goes, look at this. And it was CNN showing footage of witches on the sidewalk outside of Trump Tower. (laughs) The, The binding ritual. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, talk about manifestation. And so at least I didn't, you know, I didn't send these poor film crews out for nothing. And I thought that that might kind of be it but it just kept growing and more and more people were interested. Every week there's another story about this. And again, it's partly because witchcraft is, is, is booming and, and tarot and, and, and the the paranormal and things like that among millennials in particular, younger people, it's, it's just exploded in popularity and it, it just dovetails with, with a lot, you know, a, a lot of younger people are kind of rejecting sort of patriarchal systems and ideas. And, 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 you know, they're more, they're more concerned about global issues, and looking at things globally, rather than like this nationalism that's associated with Trump and, and like other right wing leaders and things like that. So I think it's just, it just became this cult, this phenomenon. And it just keeps it just keeps growing, and so we did a blue wave spell. There was a, a Facebook group got organized, and now there's it's going on five thousand people in this Facebook group, and we we still do this binding spell every waning crescent moon. We're right before midnight. We start, and it's just more and more people all the time, and I think I think it it it, it also hits on something. That spirituality, I think, is is important in people think spirituality and politics are kind of shouldn't mix. And when they think of religion and politics, a lot of us think of like the fundamentalist religious right. Uh, You know, the people who were against playing D&D and stuff like that, because that's when they became ascendant. And they are very vocal. So we, when we think of politics and religion, we tend to think, oh, the religious right. But when, we, when you look back just at the, the anti-Vietnam uh, War movement, uh, s- the civil rights movement, the, the farm worker rights movement and all, they were led by like Catholics and other Christians and Jews. So, so it's not like spirituality and politics are just – just belong to the the right of the political spectrum. And I think what's happening is as people, especially younger people, are sort of drifting away from mainstream religion because of all the scandals and things like that, they're they're open to more personal forms of of spiritual practice. And witchcraft and magic totally fit that bill. So the alignment of of these sorts of alternative spiritual practices and progressive politics, or I, I should at least say anti nationalist, anti authoritarian politics really match up. And I think that's, that's been part of what has has fueled this thing, but it just keeps getting bigger. And, uh, and, other people have contributed rituals and workings and things like that. We call it the hashtag magic resistance. And the, again, again, that goes back to D and uh, I, I came up with that term. Like mo- you, you would have a monster in the monster manual. It would have magic resistance. And so, so I thought that's a great term We're the magic resistance and then that kind of took off. And it's really a, a beautiful thing to see because I think a lot of, progressive people or people on the political left have felt alienated by religion and, and that the problems that we're facing today, global problems of, of, you know, climate change and, and refugees and borders and all that are really, when you look at it, they're, they really kind of have a spiritual core. Like, do you, if you, if you're part of a spiritual practice that believes you are related to, to the other inhabitants of the earth or that you are part of the earth and you come out of it. You're not, the earth is not something for you to exploit, but it's part of you. Uh, the animals around you are part of you. When you have these sort of earth based spirituality, which a lot of witchcraft and shamanic practices are, then you can't accept things that harm. The earth, you know, you 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 have to stay. So it's like when you have a certain kind of spirituality, a sort of connected spirituality, it you can't help but be a political person as well. So I think the two go very well together. And I think that's what's happening. We're seeing people waking up spiritually to to realizing that we are in a dangerous time or sort of on the edge of a, of a precipice in a lot of ways. And not just environmentally, but politically with the rise of of right wing authoritarian governments, not just in the U.S., but but all over the world. And we realize that we have to we have to wake up. We have to wake up spiritually and but we still have to participate. We have to be part of making changes. And, and so it's, oh, mm-hmm. I
0: recognize a hunger. In people, there's a hunger to be spiritual. There's a hunger to have uh, to tap into that. I think that people are hungry for that, and I think they've been left adrift by the the by, I don't know, giant organized churches and mm-hmm. and and what's happened with the Catholic Church in the last thirty years. And and we are at a point now where, and I'm going to be very cautious saying this, what I'm seeing the people i'm interacting with with this ufo stuff it bleeds all over into other things it it taps into oh how to say this that there's the people i am interacting with in the ufo community have big hearts and that's something really really reassuring to me and and it's and i'm trying to so the books i've written those are spiritual books, in my opinion. And they have a message. The message is not overt, it's in there, it's folded in there. And the message for me would be that the, the the universe is a much richer, more magical place than than we dare consider.
1: Amen to that. And that's I think also what is fueling a lot of spiritually. Engaged spiritually curious people When you when you feel that the universe is a magical place when you feel that you're not just an isolated Unit you're not just a citizen of a particular district in a particular state in a particular country But you're a part of all of creation Then it's really difficult to look at someone who is fleeing a horrible situation in another country and look at them as an alien or an enemy. It's hard to, to think that it's okay to allow a company to pollute a river when that river is connected to us because we're made of water too. It, it, It may sound kind of highfalutin or 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 silly but but there's a lot of truth in that and so i think as i think that's what happens to a lot of people when they engage with the ufo phenomenon or other forms of uh spirituality or or magic and you start to see that way magic is like an interplay between me and the universe and and interesting things can happen when you do things certain ways then it's hard for you to put up a rigid wall against the other against everything else. And that, and that happens too when you engage with a magical universe is you, you realize that putting up a wall is, is just simply isolating yourself from the larger universe. So when, when you open up to a magical Interactive universe. It's very hard to want to build literal or metaphorical walls to keep yourself safe from it. The idea is the more you engage, the more you learn and the more you can help others and and not just yourself. And I think I, I, I see that happening in this magic resistance. I see it happening in the paranormal community. I see it happening in the the climate activists. It's just what's happening is that I think we're being forced to become more conscious of the interrelatedness of ourselves and the planet that we live on. It's we're not going to have much of a choice. The solutions to these problems aren't easy engineering or technological solutions. The solutions require personal change and spiritual change. They require a a change in mindset and, and opening up to this larger, interactive, magical, creative universe around us. And that's how we're going to get through this. And I hope we do get through this as a species. I think we're looking at a potentially, you know, catastrophic. Uh,
0: yeah. Environmental. Yeah. Environment. yeah,
1: and I. But I'm I'm
0: very optimistic. I'm very optimistic mm-hmm. about. I am too. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I and optimistic. I out of out of a need because if I wasn't optimistic, I would I would I wouldn't have the fortitude to press onward. Um, I think it was in Bill Moyers' interview with Joseph Campbell, and Bill Moyers asked, you know. So we have these old, these old myths. And he asked Joseph Campbell, what is our new myth? What is our new myth going to be? And Joseph Campbell said, I can't tell you what our new myth is going to be any more than I can tell you what tonight's dream will be. But I can tell you that the old myths are no longer serving us. The old myth was a division. You know, the tribe on the other side of the hill was the enemy and demonized. And he said, the new myth will be a global myth. And I remember sitting in front of the with this is a VHS watching this on VHS and I remember thinking <laughs> to myself that's the UFO. That's the yes. UFO is a global myth. Exactly. Whether it's so we are we are forced to look at ourselves now with the technology and just the ability to email people across the world we are no longer a little tribe on one valley and the other tribes in the other valley. We are all same tribe.
1: Yeah, amen to that. It's it's the what what fascinates me are the ex, the people who are on the edges of of these phenomena. Let's like let's look at near death experience and like in like Kenneth Ring noted that there are a lot of similarities between people who have NDEs and people who have UFO contact experiences. And the the commonalities fascinate me. And they, some of the commonalities are they become environmentalists. But so many, uh, Betty Andreassen. I, I
0: be- dropped out of, I was working as at ad agencies on Madison Avenue in Manhattan. And I dropped out of life and I started teaching people how to camp in the woods. I did that for, I still do it. I'm still yeah, doing it. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, so, and why did that happen? Mm-hmm. Part of the this experience or what, it seems to be that this phenomenon is teaching us is that we have to take care of things and fix it it's 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 been part of the the ufo lore since since the very first contactees there's something about that but interestingly too uh near death experiencers come back feeling a lot of the same way bringing a lot of the same messages like we have to We have to take care of the planet. We have to take care of each other. The way we're doing things is wrong. You you know what
0: what I see a lot? And this mm -hmm. is just Facebook. This is straight Facebook. I got a lot of friends who claim to have Mm -hmm. the UFO contact experience. Mm -hmm. They volunteer at the dog shelter. Like like that's common. People with Mm -hmm. UFO contact experiences volunteer at the dog shelter.
1: Yeah, animals and renewed or increased sense of empathy – for other sentient beings and that makes sense i mean i think it was albert schweitzer who said when you expand your circle of compassion like that's when you grow as a human being and we see that with with ufo experiencers contactees with people who've had near-death experiences so the the individuals who are most in touch with this phenomenon or phenomena they they come back saying a lot of the same things. So uh, this this new mythology is just like you said, just like Jung said, just like Joseph Campbell was talking about is that it's a it's a global it's a global myth that that's happening right now and it's it's presenting us with certain I think very imp- important messages in the same way that the Old Testament prophets came back to their communities and and carried messages from whatever God was, was, was feeding it to them. So I really think we're, we're, we're engaging with, with a whole new religious, spiritual paradigm. And And, and at the
0: same time, it's an ancient
1: paradigm too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, 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 it's almost full circle in a way. I feel very positive. I think the, the, the UFO phenomenon, the, uh, near-death experiencers, the the way people are opening up to thinking and working magically with with the world around them, I think it's it's the key to uh, to where we have to go next, and the key through getting through the difficult things that lie ahead. Because I do think things are going to get tough, and the only way to get through the hard stuff that that that's that's coming is if we open up and acknowledge a a deeper, more connected sense of of who we are in relation to everything around us.
0: Well said, well said. Michael, I wanna thank you so much for this. This has been a delight.
1: I have had a wonderful time. It's a a pleasure uh, having the opportunity to come and talk to you. The pleasure is all mine. Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: Mike, and I'm chiming in after the editing. Uh, this interview went sort of long, so I don't want to say too much now. But what I want to say is that this was a totally fun conversation for me, and I have followed Michael online for a decade now. And he's been super helpful for me when I have run into questions that I can't answer. Uh, specifically on subjects like ancient mythologies and folklore, and, and the tarot too. He's helped a lot there. And as I said during the talk, I was very cautious to talk about something so overtly political, and I hope I framed something that can be so divisive in a way that wasn't disheartening. We live in troubled times, and it is my truest hope to create things that can raise our spirits, no matter what your political views. I would like to thank Lauren Cutts for his intro and outro music. And I would also like to thank Andrea lissette Villiers on the gong. If you've made it this far, thank you so
1: much. Bye now.